the most powerful thing you could do for yourself and the, and those around you is be vulnerable, right? I think there, there's two ways to go about fear. There's one, you can shell up, right? And say, I'm just going to get through this heads down. Or you could be very honest with yourself. And I even say like reflect, right? Like sit down and be like, what am I great at? What am I not great at? Where, where's process, you know, great for me? Where is it not? Where, where can I be very honest about the inefficiencies that I have um, as a, a contributing member to your team? And circle those things and say, what are the tools that I can to bring in to make me better, right? To make me more efficient um, and, and be the driver of that mindset in your organization. Welcome to the Future of Product Podcast, where I, Max Matson, interview founders and product leaders at the most exciting AI startups to give you an exclusive glimpse into the workflows, philosophies, and product journeys that are shaping the current and future AI landscape. This week, sit down with my good friend and colleague, Matt Kasner, entrepreneur, product guru, and head of product at Player Zero, the AI product monitoring platform that gets you closer than ever before to your customers. With all that said, let's dive right in. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to a new Future of Product. Today, my guest is Matt Kasner, he's the head of product at Player Zero, a great uh, friend of mine and also a uh, compatriot. So, uh, Matt, would you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me, Max. Really excited. Um, awesome to kind of watch you go on this journey and, and building out Future of Product and, and talking to cool people. And I'm lucky to be a, a part of that select group. So, yeah, thanks again for, for having me on. Um, my background started after graduating in 2015. Stanford, I, I came out of school and started a startup of my own. So kind of went, went the, the path less traveled um, and kind of was a glutton for punishment. Uh, ran that for about three and a half years down in L.A., was in the fitness industry. I played football in college, so want to continue that uh, mindset to what I did on a day to day and the value that I could bring to specific people that I cared about. Um, exited that after three and a half years, shifted more into a uh, I guess you would call it a more established company, um, but at the time it was StartX. It's it's a, a nonprofit accelerator for Stanford-based startups. So I got to work with um, on a day-to-day basis dozens of of you know amazing entrepreneurs who were building great companies. So that was really exciting for me to kind of still be involved in the startup world without having to um, bear a lot of the weight of building a startup. Got the itch about two years in um, to get back into more of the operational role of, of a startup. And, you know, at that time I met Anamesh, who's our founder um, at Player Zero, and I'd worked with him in, uh, you know, some capacity as his account manager actually at uh, StartX. And we decided, hey, let's, let's kind of do this thing. So I jumped on with him, moved out to Atlanta, and that's where we've been running Player Zero for the past two years. We actually initially started as a different company name. I've had a few changes in between, um, as you do when you're trying to find product market fit and go to market. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited about where we're at and, and kind of what the landscape for the value we're looking to bring uh, looks like. And uh, just so everybody knows, you did your undergrad at Stanford, right? I did do my undergrad at Stanford, yes. Gotcha, gotcha. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, I'd love to hear just a little bit more about kind of those early days, right? Like you kind of mentioned, there's been a pivot, a drop step, as you famously refer to. Mm-hmm. Um, could you talk me through just a little bit of the the logic behind that? What kind of motivated that, and, and maybe what you know some other product people could maybe take from from that? 
Yeah, great question. So, you know, when we started out two years ago, um, Anamesh had just come out of a very prestigious lab at Stanford where he was surrounded by amazing um, scientists who then turned that technology um, into a companies um, foundationally in AI. Um, Databricks being kind of one of the, the preeminent names. Sisu Data was another one. Some awesome people that we look up to. Um, but, you know, again, when he came out of college, he had this awesome technology and then came the time to figure out how it would best serve, you know, society. Right. Um, how could it be actionable and moving the needle for for people um, that wanted to use this technology for good? And so when I joined, that's where we were at. And what we needed to figure out was how do we make it fit? Um, so. My job was to come in and, and talk and understand, you know, the people in the market that we were trying to sell to, um, understand their needs, the, their pain points. And we started out as a testing product. So which was which is really interesting. I had no background in software. Um, I was actually hardware by training um, and then community uh, in my previous role. And so coming into this world of software, I was very quickly had to learn, um, you know, about about the space, uh, about the pain points, about the day-to-day of the people we were selling for. And it was more technical, it was more software-based. So that was a that was a blast. Um, after we did testing for a little bit, what we figured out was the technology was pretty robust, but it wasn't clear who the buyer was going to be and, and what the um, contract size would be in those circumstances, right? So that's part of building a startup is not only how robust is the product, but it's, does it really fit? And are people willing to pay for it? So after we came to that conclusion that, you know, we needed to shift left, as we like to call it, we like to say testing is on the right side. Um, and then the user sits close to the left side. So when you look at quality, we wanted to go more towards that, that user, cause that's where the pain killer is, right? That's the, we need to fix it now. We need to get things done um, as a company and our users are uh, directly correlated to a dollar value. So that's where we wanted to kind of shift this technology. And over time, through different iterations, we came to where we are today with Player Zero, um, which in a nutshell helps companies monitor their product experiences and more specifically their customers' individual experiences, right? So you can think about it like when we're making decisions as product people, as a product person, I can speak to this. You always want to be as close to the user and how you think about the problem um, as possible. And you know, in your day to day, when it's a small scale company, it, it's kind of easy to monitor every single experience and say like a full story or these replay tools. But as you scale and as you know, the ownership landscape of your role changes, you lose touch on what is actually happening to those users. Right. And we wanted to grant everybody the ability to stay as close to your users as possible. So you understand what's working and then what's not. And then root cause the why behind why things aren't working, right? So we can create this expectation and say, hey, they didn't meet this expectation due to X. And then you can double click in and get everything you need behind the root cause of that issue, which is this eye-opening experience from a product manager perspective, from a product leader saying, hey, how do I stay close and understand behavior and changing behavior? And then you look at it from like a support angle. We talk about shifting left. Mm -hmm. You can be extremely close to your users at all time, know exactly what they're going through before they even reach out to you if they're having a negative experience. So long-winded way of saying we, we pivoted the, the company to shift closer to the problem and the pain point 
that our users were feeling and that companies were willing to pay for, quite quite frankly. I see. That makes a ton of sense. Um, I, I like what you say there. It's not always just about making a quality product. It's making a quality product that actually solves somebody's pain point, right? right. That's the, the crucial part of it. So kind of on that subject, um, I know like, you know, with Player Zero, there's been some some pivots, some drop steps, but I know that you specifically do a lot of talking to, you know, PMs, people in the product space. Would you mind kind of talking a little bit about some of the things that you were able to learn from that experience? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Before I get started with that, drop step, I want to highlight why we use the term drop step. And, you know, yeah. pivots, pivots fine too, but in, you know, I, I grew up playing hoops. And um, when you think about a pivot, if you're not familiar with it, um, you're, you're actually moving away from the basket to face up to the basket. And a drop step, I was a, I was a big man, so I did a lot of drop stepping. Oh, yeah. it, it's a way to gain ground while also gaining position towards the basket, right? So it's a way of facing up without actually moving backwards. Mm-hmm. And that's how I kind of like to frame what we do yeah. uh, with every decision we make because we're not going – I don't like to frame us as going backwards, like right. one step back. I always like to say, you know, we're going towards a goal and this is kind of part of that process. So totally. just, just to throw in the clarification there as to why we like yeah, to appreciate it. Yeah. drop step around here. Um, yeah. So in my role, like I, I kind of make it a habit. Um, and I think most people in product should, when they have time, is, is talk to external people, not only who they're building for, but just people who are in their network, um, who, who would understand kind of the pain points that they're personally going through. Mm-hmm. I'm lucky in that, my ICP um, at Player Zero is also my community. Is who you know is who I am, right? I'm, I would sell to myself um, more likely than not. So it's a kind of a twofer. So there's the the company benefit, but then there's also the social benefit of me being able to move myself forward right. um, with being in the right circles and, and and hearing what's trending and how people are thinking about problems. So when I sit down with with these customers or just people in my network it's a great opportunity for me to kind of dig deeper um, and understand more about product. One through line, um, and obviously this is future of product.ai, so kind of what, what is the AI implications of, of that specific topic? One big thing that comes up is we are an AI tool, right, at Player Zero. We are, at our foundation, a very robust AI tool that adds a lot of value f- for product people um, across the board. Now, there's two ways of, of approaching a product like that. Um, when I pitch it, right? When I, when I explain what we do, there's one excitement, right? There's, oh, this is cool. How do I bring this in? But there's also been this interesting trend of fear, mm. right? There's this, what is AI going to do to right. my job? What is it going to do to my future? Totally. And what I'll say is I empathize with that greatly. I wake up every day and I'm like, what? Does, does my week look like, right? right. They, they, you look at plugins for chat GPT being the thing two weeks ago, and now auto GPT is taking over. And right. it's like, well, what does that mean for the landscape? And having your ear to the tech industry, everything is moving so fast and it's so hard to keep up with it. So I as well um, have anxiety around it. So it's great to have newsletters like the future product to kind of keep me up with, hey, what's trending? How are people thinking about these problems? Back to the people I talk to, when I talk to them again, it's there's some fear around well, what is this going to mean, and I think the, the it goes from excitement to fear because there's a lot of layoffs happening. There's a right. lot of people who are trying to find their footing in a very unsure uh, tech economy. 
mm-hmm. right? Where it's like, how do I fit in? How do I grow? And what I like to drive home in these conversations is that AI really is there to pick up the pieces that are inefficiencies, mm. right? So product managers are very, and, and product people, again, product leaders, um, VPs of product, whatever it might be, are, are very creative. They're very dynamic. Mm. Uh, they have to fit this role of the connector, the glue person, as I like to call it, within a company, the communication side of things, the empathizing side of things, they have to put it all together and, and they have to command the room and say, hey, here's w- what our roadmap looks like. Right. Now, that's hard. Being creative, being empathetic, that's that's hard and that's human. And that's mm-hmm. something that AI, I don't think in the next 20 years, we'll be able to figure out. Right. Um, now, for my kids, I don't know what that's going to look like, but that's a different topic for a different time. But we should all be embracing AI to address the inefficiencies that we have in our day to day, right? Totally. To make us supercharged, as I like to say it, mm-hmm. so that we can do what makes us unique. We right. can invest more in that. That's really going to move the needle and differentiate us Yeah, to some degree. Yeah, absolutely. I um, Actually, in, in last week's newsletter, I talked a little bit about how people are using AI to kind of augment human empathy and kind of make us a little yeah. bit more empathetic, right? And I feel like, you know, that approach can be applied to a lot of different goals, right? So say spending less time on the minutia, right? Spending more time actually engaging with people, learning about people, um, and just from knowing you a bit, I know that that's something that you are huge on, right, is actually yeah. making those human connections. Um, so I want to ask you, what are some of the ways that you use AI to kind of, you know, bolster your, your humanity, be more empathetic, kind of be the, the PM that you talk about? Yeah, so great question. Um, I try to embrace tools as much as I can. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting at an early stage startup because, so it's a, it's a two-part answer here. The first one is I do probably not as much as I would if I were at a bigger company. Mm-hmm. Um, and the why behind that is when you're at an early stage startup, you have to do things that are unscalable right. to understand and empathize, right? So there's that side of things where it's like, I need to sit down with as many people as I can so I can understand these pain points so I can hear they talk about certain things. Mm-hmm. And then I can create those efficiencies and, and build you know, the, the AI tooling on top of that to make sure that we're optimizing for the right thing. So I would say that I could be, you know, as we grow, I will adopt more and more. Um, but I think, you know, obviously there's the there's the small things, right? Like we have a JD and I need to pump out a, a description of a job or a role or a contract that we need to be hiring, right? Like yesterday I did that in about one minute with, with ChatGPT, super easy. You kind of figure out the prompts, you go back and forth, takes two or three minutes and then at the end of the day, you're good to go. Right. Um, Another one I use, um, I think going back to our, our earlier conversation about my excitement of, of talking to people, what's what's not so exciting is the monotony behind finding the right people and reaching out, right? And I think I try to be as human as possible in outreach because I do care. And so, you know, lists will be created for me, but those lists are created through tooling, right? They're created in a way that it makes it really efficient for me to kind of look at a list that's been predefined as warm and interesting in a way that I can get a lot of value out of it, that I can optimize my time in those meetings. And then once I'm in those meetings, I have tooling to take my, take notes, tell me if I'm on a monologue, which I probably have been for the majority of this conversation, <laughs> um, and, and kind of break down my talking style to make sure that, hey, 
you know, is, is this how you want to be leading this conversation? Or maybe you want to split time a little bit differently. So there's that cueing that happens. Right. So again, it's, it's all those subtle things that make me, make me supercharged to be more empathetic, to, to be more in the moment and to be there with that person uh, and to optimize the time I'm able to spend towards that. So that, and if you want product names, that one's called Fathom. I know there's another one actually on Product Hunt I saw today called Dive um, from a note-taking, meeting, recording perspective, but all things that have really moved the needle for me and what I do on a day-to-day. Awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, speaking to that anxiety a little bit, I think people are, are concerned that they're going to be replaced, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my job is communication-based. Am I going to be replaced by this AI communication tool? If it's writing, am I going to be replaced by this, you know, AI writing tool? But it sounds like, you know, it kind of struck a, a good balance where instead of replacing the action, it's just augmenting it, kind of right. making it that much more, you know, uh, stacked towards your actual goal, which is communicating efficiently, showing empathy, all of these things, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's... It's the human side of things. And it's, um, it, it's tough because we anchor our value as people and the things that we do on a day-to-day basis and mm-hmm. the line items on our calendar, right? Mm-hmm. I do this, I do this, I do this. I'm busy all the time. That means I'm valuable. That means that I'm, I'm contributing. Right. And it's, it's weird. And I'm sure you've read The Innovator's Dilemma. Mm-hmm. I think that this is a perfect example of the way that we need to be looking at this situation. And so if you haven't read Innovator's Dilemma, um, it really comes down to, are you consistently disrupting, right? Are you in that mindset of disrupting yourself to stay ahead? And I like to see myself as this project that will always be a project. Mm-hmm. And with technology, it's more important than ever to be constantly redefining and innovating on the way that I go about my job, the way I think about problems. And AI is a way to kind of help feed into that and staying on top of that is, is extremely important. So I bucket time every day to looking up, Hey, how can I be better? Right? Mm -hmm. Like what are the things I need to do? Where can I be efficient? So I'm constantly, you know, creating a better version of myself, so Mm -hmm. to speak, a more efficient version of myself where I can highlight my strengths um, and automate the process as much as possible. Totally. A true, a true product manager. You, you treat yourself as the product, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, why not? Right. Like we are, I, I had this fascination and this is why I actually started the, the fitness company with like the human body and the mind. And it's like, there's, it's such a beautiful machine. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, that probably sounds a little lofty to say, but it's like this, you know, we are these like perfectly put together organisms right. and we need to continue building on what we are and, and getting better and investing time in ourselves because that's how you're going to have the most output, right? The more input you have, the more like the correct input, the, the better the output is going to be. And I truly believe that with how we do our day to day as well, how we think about problem solving um, and really understanding, you know, who we are and what we're going to bring to the table. Totally. And you, you bring up that, that first company that you, that you led, would you mind talking a little bit more about kind of what you learned from that process? Cause I feel like typically, you know, and, and from my own experience, uh, when it comes to entrepreneurship, a lot of the times it's, you know, the, the failures are perceived failures that actually teach us the most about yeah. how to build a successful product. Would, would you mind talking to that end a little bit? Yeah. So coming out of college, um, I was in a product design class and for the capstone, I I created basically this foot harness system that is now patented. Um, 
that I got the idea from playing football and we would constantly like wrap bands around our feet and attach them in these different ways. Right. And it would slip off or it was really uncomfortable. So I basically created this harness system that you could still move around normally, but you could also clip in bands mm. so you can get that elastic resistance. So it was, it was a really cool system. We had the team using it. Like it started to kind of grow over time. Um, my time was mainly invested in product development um, and need finding to some degree. Now, I've spent a lot of time reflecting on that period. Uh, it's a very stressful one, I will say. And I, and I think the, the biggest business takeaway I have from it is I really didn't lean into the, the hard things. Mm-hmm. Um, coming out of college, like I'm starting a startup. This is going to be great. We have some sales. We have some success. Like, let's keep rolling with that. And I think in, in great contrast to what we've done here at Player Zero, we didn't ask like, how do we make this? We, we had assumptions and we wrote off those assumptions. Right. But we didn't build off of certainty, right? It wasn't like sales, like we had sales numbers, but how strong were they and how efficient were they? And what was the price point? It wasn't really right. And we had a branding strategy that kind of like that worked, but like, was it scalable? And, and, and was it as broad reaching as we wanted it to be? Um, and, and for what the market was looking for. And I think that's where I kind of look back and go, I didn't push myself to ask the hard questions enough. I did the easier things, the things that were, you know, maybe for someone else, they would be harder. But for me, it's like building, thinking about product, all that stuff is so easy, but selling boots on the ground, something I wasn't comfortable with. And as a result, I just opted not to do it a lot of the times, right? Like, and I tried to find more efficient ways without doing it the hard way. And, and it's funny because... In the past six months here at Player Zero, we've been doing things the hard way, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's we're we're selling, we're talking, we're you know constantly iterating on this like more and more fine tune over time. But that's the role that I've embodied here. So it's it's cool to see in reflection the growth I've had. But yeah, looking back, like could have been something if I was willing to really push myself to be honest um, mm-hmm. and to hear the the full picture from our users, not just what I wanted to hear. Got you. Got you. That, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I've had a similar experience in that regard, right? It's easy to, especially if you don't like sales to, to kind of deprioritize it. But then again, if you're the founder, who else is going to do it? Right. Yeah. Uh, but all that being said, you know, I, I found just from working with you that you as a product manager always have, you know, that go to market mentality uh, to some extent where you're, you're, you're focused on how to make the product intrinsically more sellable. Right. So I, uh, I wonder if maybe that came to some extent from your experience with, you know, the other startup, um, yeah. realizing how important that is and, and building it into your product process. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point. I don't, I don't know if I've really ever thought about it that way. I think foundationally my, where I see my role personally is, and I think a lot of product managers, if they have the time and bandwidth, I, you know, get some AI to help you out with the heavy lifting so you can focus right. more on this. I think, the user voice needs to find its way into every decision you make. And engineering innovation, I like have more than enough respect for, for engineers and all the work they do, especially on our team. Like they're amazing. Yeah. Um, but it there's you spin your wheels if you're not building the right thing for the right person at the right time when they need it. Right. Right. So every decision we make needs to be informed by a user need and ICP. Every conversation we have, we say, hey, pitch that, pitch that back to me through when a use, a, a, an actual use case from a specific mm-hmm. user. How would you frame that? Mm-hmm. Um, and 
that's yeah, that's an adoption of a, a mindset adoption that is is new. And but to like you said, I didn't have before. It was mm-hmm. like, oh, it'll like sure that that kind of makes sense. Like, why wouldn't it? I mean, we've done some research, but now it's like, are you sure? Have you heard it? Have you do you have users who are paying to use it? Like, how how are you? How are you like validating your assumptions and, and uh, always bringing the user voice is, is my way of of being sure and confident and making sure the the entire team is on board. And what I'll say is this is a nice segue talking back into player zero because we stay on top of customer. We help you stay on top of customer experience, right? Like we surface the behaviors and the oddities that are happening in your application at all times. And so when you're talking to an engineering team, support team, executives, right, you have the data right there. You have behavior, real users, what they're doing well and what they're not doing well, down to the specific person, you know, at your beck and call, that data is there. So that's what's super exciting is we're building a product that I think I've seen growth in myself is really hard to do. Um, And I've had great people around me like yourself helping me like push that narrative. Um, Yeah, really just kind of excited about being able to, to make that a more scalable value for for other people yeah absolutely absolutely you know, that's something that i've definitely seen with player zero is um for product people right and you've used the term glue person to to describe that role right uh, i can't imagine how daunting it can be well i can't imagine <laughs> to try and present something to somebody who's hyper technical knows exactly what they're talking about and not really have any clue about the technical aspect but be trying to advocate for that user the great equalizer is the user. I tell you, man, like there, there is sometimes you're in situations where there's no convincing somebody that they're not looking at something the right way. But when you bring a real user into a conversation and you say this, the you know, the proof is in the pudding, like it's right here. And here's what's causing this, right? Like that's, you, you can't push back on that. You just can't. Because at the end of the day, you're building a product for people who are paying you to continue to build that product. And if you're telling me that they're wrong, then that's something unto its own, right? So that's the cool thing about about leading with user and and having tools um, that help you continue to lead with the user is it is the great the great equalizer and the the great translator. I think is a better way to put it. Mm, I like that. I like thinking about it as a translator it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So for that PM, you know, let's say entry to mid-level PM. I know we've talked a lot about AI and how it can kind of be really useful, but I would imagine that people who are in that position, given the current economy, are still feeling like, you know, all well and good, but could this replace me? Right. Yeah. So to that person, do you have any advice? Yeah. I mean, I think lean into education is the first and foremost. I think the most powerful thing you could do for yourself and the, and those around you is be vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's, there's two ways to go about fear. There's one, you can shell up, mm-hmm. right? And say, I'm just going to get through this heads down. Right. Or you could be very honest with yourself. And I even say like reflect, right? Like sit down and be like, what am I great at? What am I not great at? Where Where's process you know, 
great for me. Where is it not? We're, we're, we're going to be very honest about the inefficiencies that I have um, as a, a contributing member to your team and circle those things and say, what are the tools that I can t- bring in to make me better, mm. right? To make me more efficient um, and, and be the driver of that mindset in your organization. So there's going to be people, there's going to be like the, the, the first movers in an organization who are leading the charge. And then there are going to be people who are kind of like slacking behind and just adopting what people tell them to adopt. What I would say is reflect, be honest with yourself, be vulnerable with yourself and those around you for feedback, find tooling, and then be excited to bring that in. Because when I look at people that we're going to be hiring, what I want is people who are going to be disrupting themselves consistently, right? Mm -hmm. And Max, you do a great job of this. Like, Better than anybody, you find efficiencies and you say, this is taking me way too long. You get frustrated mm-hmm. because innately, you know, there's something better, right? right? I think I'm kind of in that boat with you, but I see it with you. And then the next day, there's a tool. Mm-hmm. Right? There's like, hey, I did some research. We have a couple back and forth on Slack, right? Right. A couple right. tools. This worked. This didn't. We, you know, we kind of um, throw ideas back and forth and you come in with a tool. And I think that's the that's the mentality you have to have and embrace mm-hmm. it and and continue to learn the, the days of like getting a, a system, a framework that's going to last you for 30 years, because that's, that's funny. It's like my parents' generation is if you kind of have this playbook, you're good, right? You've been able to kind of rinse and repeat. That isn't going to work anymore, right? Like you have to refresh like every quarter, every two quarters to challenge yourself. Um, so start with vulnerability, start with feedback, start with honesty, and then find ways to make yourself better and highlight the things that you're great at that nobody else or AI can kind of supplant. Totally. I love that answer. So Matt, having worked with you for a while now, uh, one thing that I know about you that I've seen from you more than probably anybody else is that you are kind of obsessive about educating yourself, right? And, and going out and finding the resources to kind of, you know, upgrade your skills. Could, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there's a there's an input quality portion mm-hmm. of this, right? So there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of just stuff being bounced around that's kind of regurgitated from one person to the next. And I think, you know, where I, I live heavily on like LinkedIn and I, I follow a lot of great people. And, and like I mentioned earlier, a lot of that comes through like customer discovery and, and just kind of trying to, to build my community and reach out to people in the space. And then I'm, I'm lucky enough to kind of follow them on their journey as they learn and the things that they like. And then, you know, the LinkedIn algorithm serves up some content to me. Um, so that's like one of the main drivers I use is kind of looking about the people I look up to, the people who are um, friends of mine, are mentors of mine, and, and what they're looking at and what they're um, really investing time into showing interest in. So that's where I really start, right? And uh, there's there's a lot of great not just use cases but takes on the future of and, and a lot of like what I'm saying today is informed by the, those people in that network the network effects that LinkedIn has created they speak very elegantly to hey here are the problems we're facing today and you get these unique perspectives of a CEO of a, of a product leader of an engineer and here's how I'm using AI right and so there again like I said there can be noise. But when you have people you respect talking about things, it's pretty easy to like empathize and, and sit in their shoes. So that's kind of where I start in terms of um, 
educating myself on the way that people are thinking about a specific problem. I also think I try to subscribe to as many newsletters as possible. I try to listen to as many ebooks as possible. Big ebook person, not really a big reader. Um, more efficient for ebooks because I can like garden and stuff. But um, you know, newsletters are a big portion of it. Lenny obviously is a uh, is a north star for like everything we do. The people he brings on are so inspirational in the way they think about problems and the frameworks. So I learned a lot from him just about being a great product person. Um, and, you know, talking with you, Max, and thinking about how we could take our learnings, take, you know, our day-to-day and everything we deal with on the AI side of things and the conversations that we have and and, and create this opportunity, this, this educational source for the people who don't understand or are trying to learn more about AI. Um, that's the, the greatest opportunity for us because we're taking all these things that inspired us from, say, LinkedIn or Lenny's, and we're intertwining those into this newsletter. Right. Um, so that's where I'm really excited. And I know your question was more about how I educate myself. And very simply, it's newsletters, books, um, and people in my community. Uh, but the output of that um, not only is a great product in Player Zero, but is helping contribute to what you're building at Future of Product and taking the best pieces of all those different things in creating one cohesive story for our, you know, the, the person that is me, the person mm-hmm. that I, you know, empathize with, which is that product person who, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of newsletters out there that are lists of tools right? Um, that aren't specific to workflows that we deal with on a day to day, right? There's a, Hey, here's a tool, figure out how it fits. Instead, the angle of, Hey, here's a tool and here's how it's going to make you better here, here, and here. And that's right. what's, what's so cool about what you're working on. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. It's been, it's been a pretty great joint effort. You know, I mean, I think one of the things I've picked up from you a lot is being that perpetual student, you know, uh, it really does take a certain mindset to always be open to learning to not, you know, just assuming that you've got the best way and it's not going to change, right? That kind yeah. of playbook that you mentioned earlier. Um, but especially now with kind of the pace that everything is moving at, you really have to be that perpetual student. You always have to be open to new ideas, to new modes of learning. Um, and you have consistently been a person who I've seen do that very effectively. I appreciate that. You know, you know what the big thing is? We actually talked about this yesterday. I think it was a Slack message. But you just you have to be open to feedback. You yeah. have to not take things personally. You've you okay. got to just keep growing. Mm-hmm. The minute you, you, you stop accepting that you're not not perfect mm-hmm. or you start accepting that you're not perfect one of those things you're not yeah. perfect and once you realize that like <laughs> that you're a, a constant project then you can start making steps in growth right but if you're defensive and you think your process is right like you're up for a rude awakening because you're gonna be you're gonna be you know someone's gonna leap over you in a short time because they're willing to be honest with themselves and the people around them. Totally. No, hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think that kind of ties into kind of another related piece, which is you were very good at, at forming relationships with people at learning from them at kind of, you know, connecting. I think a lot of PMs, while they want that type of connection, kind of are afraid of feeling salesy or coming across as, you know, inauthentic. How do you kind of maintain your authenticity while, while doing this? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I ask myself that question often about, you know, where's the line and, and 
like you said, you know, being a, a salesperson or feeling salesy. And mm-hmm. what it comes down for me, and I, again, this is, I'm going to speak for myself here. I truly believe in the product we're building because of the work that we've put in and the value that it brings. Yeah. And again, by nature, I'm not a salesperson. Um, I, I'm more of a builder, a tinkerer. And what I've really come to realize is if you're investing in the user and the person and and addressing those needs, then you're just bringing value, Mm -hmm. right? Like you're not selling um, just to get dollars. You're selling to deliver value, to, to bring someone a tool or an opportunity or a new way of thinking. Um, And that's, what's so exciting. And that's, that's where, there's this interesting blend between being a salesperson and being a, a product customer discovery person, because if, if you're learning and listening um, and, you know, being open to hearing from that person, then what you're going to be giving back to them is honesty and it's going to be authenticity and it's going to be value and, and a product that that's, that's going to move the needle for them because you're actually listening because you care because you're taking their feedback and maybe you're getting a not now, but Hey, what, what's always going to be in the back of your head is I remember that one time that this person said this one thing and how can we make their life easier? Right? Like every data point moves the needle. Right. Um, and that's kind of how you have to approach it from a, how I talk to people, how I show them the value of the product mm-hmm. and, and why it should matter. I love that. Doing it the right way, right? Staying as close to the product as possible, as close to the user as possible, and truly integrating their feedback. Yeah, you just want people to like feel empowered. There's there's an like you try to build people up as much as you can. And and when you're doing that, it's pretty easy to offer them something like inadvertently that like they're gonna like love. It's gonna make their life great. And like who who's not up for a win-win in that situation? Totally, totally. Yeah, it just comes down to really believing in the product. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's something I wanted to touch on um, that I, I know that you have a lot of thoughts on, which is the importance of data quality in building mm-hmm. product, right? Um, Player Zero is a solution that really does a great job of kind of making all data agnostic to some extent, right? You've, you've, you've kind of transcended this this place where data is held in each individual department. Yeah. Um, can you speak a little bit to like what the future looks like when it comes to kind of data across organizations? Yeah. So the AI revolution um, and what's happening today is really underlining like the value of data, right? And the type of data you're collecting, where you're collecting it from, because again, that's your input, right? That's, that's what's building your models is the data. And you see, um, like these, these industry giants, like the Reddits and the Quora's. And now they're putting up paywalls to say, Hey, look, you can't just mine my data. Like this is our data. This is because they realize like that's, that's the differentiator. And I don't know if you listen to the all in podcast, it's probably one of the most popular entrepreneur podcasts out there, but they talk about this. Uh, Chamath talks about this pretty often where, you know, what's going to matter at the end of the day is who's capturing the most and, and the most authentic, real, differentiated data and, and how are you using that to train these data sets, right? And these, these algorithms. So I really like have this focus on what type of data we're collecting. And, and, you know, I know Anamesh, our CEO, he's like the driver of this and I'm drinking his Kool-Aid the whole way. So I'm very, we're very much aligned at player zero. So I think there's two parts um, 
past the answer I've already given that I kind of want to break this down. So at player zero, there's, there's this opportunity to blend analytics and engineering, right? And in today's world, and I guess yesterday or up till today, um, there's been analytics tools, there's been engineering tools, there's been customer data tools, um, and they all kind of sit, like you said, in these silos. And what happens is to tell a story about that data, to tell a real story, you need all of those inputs. And so what exists prior to player zero is I hear something from analytics, I have a hypothesis. Now I'm gonna go over to engineering and try to validate that, right? Or maybe I'm incorrect in that assumption. And then in which case I have to go back, ask new questions, look deeper, reach out to customers to try to figure out what's actually happening in an application at any moment in time. Oftentimes, honestly, what I've heard is teams just like put it in the backlog, which is like the worst Um, because it's so hard. It's so difficult. It's so time consuming. It's like, oh, maybe if we hear from a couple more people, we'll prioritize this. Right. Because the process of building that story is so difficult and they're in these silos. Now, again, what what we're focused on at Player Zero is combining all of that. And I think that's where the future of of data or of, of, I would say, experience and monitoring tooling is going across the board. And we're really excited to kind of be at the forefront of that, where we build that story for you, right? There's no, there's sure there's a little bit of interpretation, but all of it's right there, right? You have your analytics, which is showing behavior, and then you have your engineering showing you um, the the issues that are popping up at specific times, accompanied by logs and you know screenshots and steps, right, for each individual user, so you can build a better understanding of your of of your users' experience in real time without swivel chairing, without asking for engineering's help or support's help, right? right, without having to play this what we call the game of telephone, which is the worst worst thing ever because as you know at the end of a telephone is some garbled up message that wasn't actually where you wanted to go but is kind of what was the output of that so to summarize with player zero and our mindset towards data is give people the data they need in a way that makes sense and can tell as much of a story as possible Mm -hmm. and then they can make great decisions based off that they can use a different side of their brain and going back to what we talked about earlier, like that data analyst side of the product brain, right. Is a nice to have, Mm. right. That's not a need to have. It's a, Oh, I can kind of do that. Or it would be really nice to hire a data analyst to like put this story together. Imagine like that's just all done for you. And then you can just make decisions and communicate and, and drive outcomes. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think, you know, where we're really excited is that unifying of that data in these different silos in a way that's actionable and meaningful for growth. Instead of looking at the customer from this perspective or that perspective or this one, you're looking at them as a holistic, actual, true individual. Exactly. It's a real person. And it's the most efficient way to understand um, your, your user is from, from all angles. It's not just from one or they're not just a line, right? They're not just a line on a, on a graph bunched up with a bunch of other lines, right? Like what is, what does that mean? And and how does that help people empathize? Right. And all of a sudden, if you can build this, this, you know, archetype of of a human, like that's so valuable for, for building conviction and and, and excitement around decision-making. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So talking about player zero a little bit more, but specifically with your role, um, you know, being kind of a, a small team uh, at a growing startup, you kind of wear a lot of hats, right? Um, would you mind talking a little bit about how you stay efficient with your time despite, you know, having a ton of stuff in the air? Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a good question and one that caused me a lot of exhaustion because it, it takes a lot of time um, to, to do it right and, and to be really efficient and a lot of mental mental bandwidth. So just to kind of paint a picture before I talk about like actionably what I do, you know, my role, like I said previously, is like the the conveyor between the user and everything we do as a company, right? What is what is happening? What are they saying? Why are they saying it? And how do we best represent that in our product, in our process, in our culture, right? So all of those different things. Mm-hmm. And what that means tangibly is how we're making product decisions, how we're talking about messaging on a website, yeah. how we're, you know, building out, you know, infrastructure, all those different things kind of kind of come into play. And so for me, it's really important. I'm sure many people listening kind of go through this. The, the idea of time blocking is really important, right? So, you know, while I try to be as flexible as I can, I'm always as flexible as possible for users, right? right? Like customers, yeah. because as a the customer experience person, it's my job to make sure they're unblocked, that I can be with them whenever they need it, right? So that's flexible always. Now there's the, I'm going to block my time for more customer discovery, mm-hmm. right? Where I'm continuing to learn, bring in input, um, there's blocks in my calendar for product meetings, right? Mm-hmm. So it's how am I taking what I learned there and uh, meet with our wonderful head of UX, Rebecca, to talk mm-hmm. about, hey, how, how are what's the perceived value going to be from, from our users? Um, and then obviously the marketing side of things with you, Max, is mm-hmm. it's the other portion, right? And so concretely, it's time blocking. Um, it's being specific to eliminate um, dead weight in between meetings, and to, I guess, be more efficient with outside of a meeting as possible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's very popular nowadays. People are like, no Wednesdays or no meetings on Wednesdays, Fridays. And, you know, I generally like believe that's true, though. I think any blocker, any question mark can be solved better um, mm-hmm. in a meeting than in a, in a Slack. But I also think it's important to be honest and be like, one, what's priority? And two, can this be like with one quick message, can this be solved? Um, so I think that's also uh, important. And that goes back to, you know, always questioning, always reinventing um, our our process. And we've we've changed being a startup, not only our product, but our process, like quite frequently. And Max, you know, you joined like almost a year ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, you've probably seen seen three or four shifts in how we just do our project management. Totally. Because we're trying to find the most efficient way, the way that sticks, that works for our connection to engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always also really important for, for how we do what we do as we grow it right. is making sure we're always saying, hey, I don't need to necessarily fit a new piece into a puzzle that doesn't need a piece. Like you need to kind of rework what that puzzle looks like in order to um, create an effective solution. Totally, totally. No, it's so important, right? Like there's a certain degree of process that needs to be hit. And that line is one that can really only be found with experimentation, right? right. So that, that's, I think that's the, the main piece of advice that I would carry over to, to anyone who's in a startup or, or trying to launch their own is you have to be flexible with this stuff, right? You have to be willing to experiment to 
push it to see if it fails. And then if it does to, to move on to the next thing, right? Yeah. So let me ask you, mm-hmm. you know, before this, you had your own, uh, your own company. Mm-hmm. Um, and like me, you're coming into an industry that was completely new and, and you even more than I sit at the top of that funnel, right. Where you have to, to create this message and sit in the right places. Like yeah. how have you seen your personal growth and, and understanding, you know, the users and, mm-hmm. and what the process that you need to have to constantly be educating yourself on, you know, our ever changing ICP profile. Totally. Yeah. That's that's a fantastic question. So when I first came in and and you've alluded to it, we've had these kind of um, these drop steps, right? Where when I first came in, we were really looking at that engineer ICP and I was kind of coming in with a traditional marketing outlook um, going in, doing my industry audits, auditing companies, trying to see what their plays were, seeing what worked for everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and about a month into that process was when I actually started sitting down with customers and talking to them. And honestly, I, I wish I would have just done that from day one, right? Because nobody is going to tell you more about the need for your product, about pain points, about value than the person that you're actually going to be selling to, right? right. Um so in my experience, that was the big difference maker and that's carried on, right? So when we kind of drop stepped into delivering value for product managers, I think you and I literally took a month to just go sit down with PMs and, and mm-hmm. learn and, and talk to them and not really with any agenda, but just trying to really understand who these folks were, right? Yeah. Um, and from my perspective, that more than anything else, you know, because there's always going to be SEO research and, you know, trends and all that stuff. But what's most important is actually knowing the person that you're trying to sell to before you have tried to sell to them. Spot on, spot on. I, uh, that, that reminds me that I think this is like one of the best things that we do. And I remember when we did the, the pivot, um, to a new ICP, you know, I think innately you and I, and the rest of the team has this bias for action. Right. Like, let's move fast. Let's crank it out. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And I remember sitting down with you and there was a very palpable level of discomfort. Yeah. Right. Like there was a, hmm, I think I know what I need to do, but I guess like, and what we, the conclusion we came to, like you just said is, and we've done this multiple times, but sometimes you lose sight of it is like book some meetings, mm-hmm. talk yeah. to, talk to two dozen people, totally right? Like get some clarity. And with each meeting, mm-hmm. you come back to the, the, the following meeting with a little bit more clarity and new questions, right? right? And over time you start to formulate this understanding and funnel down and funnel down and funnel down into these really interesting insights that can then fuel the decision-making process. And it was, it's just like a world. And I'm so happy you brought that up because it's like one of my favorite things that we've done. And, and and it felt so empowering is like, I felt in total control after those meetings, right? Like after the two weeks of week, you know, just going all out with, you know, meeting with different PMs, even engineers, right? Like, even though that was our old ICP, how do they see this, right? Like, what does that shift look like? Because we know it's a team effort. Um, so, yeah, that's that's something I would recommend to anybody is when you're stuck, don't try to unstick yourself by yourself, 
right? Use your team, but more than anything, if you can, as a product person, call a user up, be like, hey, look, I'm really tangling with this problem. Be vulnerable, be like, I don't know the answer to this problem. What are you, what are you thinking? Because at that point, they're teammates just as much as they are users. And to be honest, people love that. Like, I, I'd be loyal to a product if I know that the people respect who I am, in my opinion. Um, so I think if you frame it that way versus, hey, we need some feature like feedback, like that's tough. That's, that's a little automated, but maybe it's like, I'm really having trouble understanding this. Would you be open for a call to kind of talk through this with me and like brainstorm? Like that's a, that's exciting. Like why would people want to be a part of that type of collaboration? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I was blown away by the the response that we got, right? Like it was like one out of every three people that we contacted was like, hell yeah, I'll, I'll jump on. Exactly. You know, super supportive. Um, and I would say for the product community, especially, I, I was just blown away by how, uh, how much time people were willing to give just to kind of give that feedback. Um, you're totally spot on. I feel like, you know, at the end of the day, the person who's having the problem is probably the best person to speak to the problem, right? Yep. Um, and for any potential founders out there, I would say even before you start building your product, figure out what the pain point is, figure out what the person you're trying to sell to is actually experiencing it. And then just to a letter, solve that problem. Right. Exactly. It's, it's, it's that easy, you know, right. You know, I think that's the, like, that's the, the, to, to go back to the theme of, of this mm-hmm. pod, like that's the human part. Right. right. Like that's the the vulnerability, the honesty, the part you can't automate mm-hmm. is being honest and open and, and being a teammate and right. being um, somebody that's there for other people and, and asks for help when they need it. Yeah. Um, and if you're going to take anything out of out of this discussion, it's, you know, check your ego at the door. Mm-hmm. And em- embrace what's to come, and be excited about it, and and identify areas of improvement in yourself, and always be looking to uh, disrupt disrupt the way you work and in the way you kind of see yourself as a as a member of a team. Beautifully put. Well, Matt, I think uh, we've reached the natural conclusion for the pod. Uh, it was so fun talking to you. Yeah, it's like we're not going to talk here in like 30 minutes about something else. But no, this is this is great, Max. And, you know, I'll reiterate, like I'm I'm excited to be a part of our, you know, a part of this um, educational experience for other people. And obviously, like I said, like anybody who wants to connect and talk about these things more than happy to do it because I learn every step of the way. But I think all props go to you for creating an avenue for people to start learning product people specifically. And I do want to underline that because I think that's that's really important about the future of product is that it's not just a blanket spray and pray. Mm-hmm. Here's some tools. It's a let's build a better product person and, and how can we optimize who you are? Um, so shout out to you for doing this, for bringing on great people. Um, and, you know, I'm just I'm happy to be a part of the journey. Oh, yeah. Couldn't have done it without you, man. Seriously. Uh, helps having, you know, one of the better PMs in the in the world kind of on your team there. Um, oh, thanks, man. So, oh. LinkedIn. Yeah, there you go. Speaking of which, um, just at Matt Kastner, right? Oh, yeah, I think so. Um, you can find me. Yeah. And it says future product AI contributor um, and then player zero. But yeah, just search Matt Kastner and 
should be the first one. I don't know how many Matt Kasners there are. Yeah. <laughs> I know there's like a bull riding one. Oh, so for a while, yeah, I just never ranked the highest on the Google, which was tough. It's tough. <laughs> you think, you know, playing college football, you'd be like the first one? Nah. No. Nah. champion. <laughs> there's always someone. I think there's a neuros, neuroscientist for me. So uh, always, always somebody. Yeah. Please uh, feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. Um, and yeah, keep the conversations coming. Love it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Feature of Product Podcast. And a special thanks to my amazing guest, Matt. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about what we do over at Player Zero, you can find us at playerzero.ai. If you're looking to go even deeper on the subjects we talked about in the pod, subscribe to Feature of Product on Substack and be sure not to miss this Thursday's newsletter, in which I break down the biggest takeaways from my conversation with Matt and explore in depth how product people can make themselves irreplaceable with AI tools. I look forward to seeing you there.